So the reading today is taken from Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. My name is Josh. Um, I am one of the staff and one of the leaders here at Christchurch Liverpool. Um, please do keep that passage open in front of you, because uh, for the next little while, I'm going to be talking about uh, that, those Ten Commandments, and particularly the one that came at the very end, the Third Commandment, um, and we'll talk a little bit about what that's all about. Um, so as we come to think about God's Word more deeply, let's pray. Father God, thank you that as was read for us, you gave commandments on a mountain, and thank you that those commandments are good. Thank you that they are relevant to us today, and we pray that um, you would help us to both uh, understand their place in our lives today and help us to be people who are serious about obeying, um, obeying in a way that is full of love and joy, knowing that you are for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to, uh, what I say, there's a written copy of available on the internet. Um, it, there should be a link if you're watching at home on the YouTube channel just below this, but for everyone else, um, there's a, a folder called transcripts. So if you were to go on our church website, www.christchurchliverpool.org forward slash transcripts, you can get a copy of what I'm about to say. Um, and I actually wrote this um, sermon um, I had to write it in advance, not knowing anything about uh, last night or anything about that. Um, and in reflection about uh, football, but not including yesterday, um, I was noticing in the last two weeks there had been a bit of an outcry in our country, in the world of football, about uh, the number of pitch invasions of fans celebrating, which is different um, to something, to ugly scenes last night, which was horrible and cruel. But... Um, this is in occasions where there were times where teams were celebrating an achievement and fans would run onto the pitch. Now, that's nothing new, 
Um, but that has been in the news over the last couple of weeks because there's been a few um, violent incidents with that. Now, partly why this pitch invasion idea happens is because we celebrate differently when we're with a crowd of people. There is a heightened euphoria when you're celebrating your team with a crowd. Now, think about how you would celebrate if you're on your own. A goal goes in or you win a match. You might just do a fist bump and a yeah, a bit of a shout. But when your team wins and you're in a massive crowd, well, we're sort of lifted onto a higher plane of joy. And uh, in some cases, it becomes like these scenes of uncontrolled hysteria. Now, one Christian writer, and I think he's right, says that this change of, of being on our own to being together, this comes because we are all wired for connection. We love to plug, to feel like we've plugged into something bigger than ourselves. We need to know that we are not on our own. We need to know that we're part of something bigger. We need to find our tribe and we need to belong. That gives us meaning. And that seems, that seems about a right assessment when then you reflect on national lockdown, when many of us were cut off and isolated and that starving sense of belonging was fed only with the crumbs of two households on a park bench. Now, football isn't the only place that we see this craving for connectedness, for being part of something bigger. It's, it's really quite strange. A lot of what I sign up to online, if I subscribe to something online, often asks me to make a profile so I can share my activity with the community. It wants me to feel like I'm part of something bigger. Um, whenever I buy wine on the internet, I have to share that with the community because I'm part of something bigger. Uh, whenever I buy something on eBay, it invites me to share my eBay activity with the community. If I play computer games, I can't do it without having a profile so that I can invite other people to be part of my connected community. Even on the app that I use for buying train tickets on, <laughs> it asks me to share my activity to share the great deals I've got with the community. I've even seen it on advertising for phone and internet companies. They're not advertising me faster speeds or cheaper prices, but rather they want to tell me the message that their phone or their internet will help satisfy one of my deep desires in life, my craving for connectedness my need for community. I'm not just talking about community here in such a way that I feel not lonely, like company, but community that really helps me be me. The need for connection is about who we are or who we want to be, and the sense we get is losing connection doesn't just lead to isolation, but losing connection leads to lostness, meaninglessness. Great, so what's all this got to do with the Bible command about not swearing? Um, well, to start with, the third commandment, which is in verse 11, um, I don't think is a command about not swearing. And that's one of the first things we're going to see in a minute. Because in verse 11, in the passage that was read, the third commandment about not misusing God's name, that comes from an anticipation that this profound longing for belonging, the craving for connection, is going to be, for the people who hear this, ultimately satisfied in a relationship with God. In the Ten Commandments, God is bringing a strange group of people into the most tight-knit, non-dysfunctional family of belonging. It's going to be the place where they most identify. 
the thing that gives them meaning and purpose. And this community that God is forming in the Ten Commandments is all going to be under his name. And so when we come to verse 11 and the third commandment, we find that it's really important that the people involved in this belonging community actually get the weight and importance of what it means to be under his name. And it's an important commandment because God wants them to know that his name is a worthy name. And that's the first thing, a worthy name. Um, you might be a bit like me. I expect there's probably quite a lot of uh, people here like me who've grown up um, taking this commandment in verse uh, 11 to mean um, you're not allowed to say, oh, my God. Um, this is the OMG emoji. This might um, cause a little bit of unease among you. It says in the passage, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But when you read the Old Testament, it becomes clear quite early on that the name of the Lord means something a little bit different, um, that God's name isn't God. So I'm a man, but my name isn't man. And God is God, but his name's not God. So it's not about saying God that this command is about. In fact, God's name, in leading up to the Ten Commandments, God states his name quite carefully, quite deliberately, very solemnly, making sure that the name is understood. And he says that he's got a special name, which is Yahweh. And it's always mattered to God that the name Yahweh is associated with a particular set of actions and a particular promise relationship. Names are very much associated with a person quite often, aren't they? But they're not only associated with a person, but they're associated with a whole load of emotions and feelings about what that person has left behind in the world. So if I were to say the name Klopp, you feel something. If I were to say the name William Wilberforce, you're thinking about something. If I were to just drop casually into conversation the name Hitler, it makes you feel something. If I were to say the name Rosa Parks, to many of you that speaks about something. You're not just thinking of the person I just said, just sitting there having their breakfast, because the name means a person, there you go. You're thinking about the movement behind, of it, behind it. You're thinking, when I say Klopp, about a change in a team's transformation to be one of Europe's elite, and all that he's left behind. Not that he's gone. Um, you're thinking, with Wilberforce, of the abolition of the slave trade, a legacy that's changed history. You're thinking of Hitler and... A, a, horrible, disgusting, cruel murder of people. If, you, if I say Rosa Parks, you're thinking of courage and heroism and a movement that changed history in fighting racism. Names are loaded. You can't just say some names and just mean the person. You mean everything that comes with it. Well, this commandment is about, not swear words, but what we're meant to associate with Yahweh. Just before the Ten Commandments, God um, rescues ethnic Hebrew group called Israel. And he gets Moses to be their leader. And he says to Moses, 
when I rescue this group of people, that rescue in power and might and grace and love, that is what I want you to associate with the word Yahweh. The name means you've been graciously and powerfully saved. And the name also speaks of their relationship with him. In verse 6, he says that he's their God. Verse 6, have a look down at it. You might notice, have a careful look. You might notice in most English Bibles, I'm only talking if you've got an English Bible, it says the Lord, but it has the word Lord in capital letters. That's not just because we like to put the word Lord in capital letters. It's because the original word is the word on the screen, Yahweh. But historically, people have treated that so reverently that they hadn't wanted to say the word. They say the word Lord instead. So when it's translated into English, the word Yahweh becomes the word Lord, but in capital letters. But what that means is in verse 6, God is saying, I am. And then he says his name. I am Yahweh. But then he says, your God. So Yahweh means yours. Yahweh means the saving God of all of the the, the plagues and the miraculous rescue, and it also means yours. I'm yours, you are mine. Yahweh is going to mean the special relationship that God has with his people through these commandments. So this name is loaded. And this third commandment, when it says, do not misuse the name of Yahweh, It is more literally meaning, don't unload the name. It's a loaded name. Don't unload it. Don't, it literally reads, don't lift up the name to emptiness. So don't take the loaded name and speak and live as if it doesn't really count for much. As if it's just the name of any old person. Don't uh, belong to Yahweh and then live as if you don't belong to Yahweh as if it's worthless. If you know Yahweh, well, don't be embarrassed about knowing him. Don't treat him like some awkward uncle that you never speak about. And whenever you do speak about Yahweh, don't speak like you would about something slapstick or toilet humor. The name is loaded. Keep it loaded. It means a lot for you. So the challenge to the original hearers, the God's people, the saved people of Israel, is to revere the name because... It represents the saving works and their relationship with him. He's made a name. It is a worthy name. And, well, it's up to them if they're going to live as if it's a worthy name or a worthless name. But here's what is amazing. And this is where this whole thing takes a little bit of a turn. And and it's, it's brilliant. And this is the second thing. Let's think, how on earth is it, though, that Israel bear the responsibility of treating God's name rightly. I don't know if you um, saw this this week. Um, this might be a little bit of a balm to the open wounds of, um, of Liverpool fans. Um, this was genuinely on BBC TV, on BBC News this week. Um, they, were, they were at it to talk about a news report. And the little bit at the bottom that gives headlines, it's called a ticker. And different headlines come across. Boris Johnson did so-and-so, world politics, this and that. And then the next news thing at the bottom said this, Manchester United are rubbish. It actually said it. It was genuine. And um, when the the, the kind of producers realized what happened, they had to get the presenter. This is a presenter looking very sorrowful about what what happened. Um, They had to get the presenter to apologize and say what had actually happened. Now think about this. 
This phrase came up there, Manchester United are rubbish. You might read that and think, whoa, BBC said it, so it must be true. <laughs> you might think that is one of the headline-worthy news items of this week. Therefore, it's true, and there's no getting away from that. Or you might hear what the lady said and realise that what actually happened was there was a trainee. They were being taught how to use the software, and they were told, well, just type in some random stuff and um, see how it works. They didn't realise that it was going to go live. Now, when you know that, you immediately think, ah, okay, it's not true. It was just somebody saying something, and it probably isn't true. Nobody really thinks that, I don't think. Um, now, do we think Israel are like a BBC trainee? Do we think that God makes a name for himself and it's loaded? And actually what Israel do, it doesn't really matter. Like they can say what they like because what they do is not going to affect the loaded name of Yahweh. What Israel do is just they're standing on the sidelines. They're just giving their observations. They can't make his name worthless. It's up to God that his name's worthy. But, but... How they handle the name is important for a special and beautiful reason. It's because it's their family name. Now, in our um, family, we've had the privilege of adopting our little ones. And it was stressed to us early on that names really matter in this process. They said to us, don't just change the name of the child just because you prefer a different name. You have to respect the child and Refer to them by the name they've come with, unless there's a special reason why that's not a good idea. But at the same time, when you complete the legal adoption process, you do give your surname to the child. And it expresses to the child, look, you are you, and you matter. But you can have a place of belonging in our family. When someone joins a family as an adopted child, they belong. They are loved. And that is signified by the whole family being united under one name. Again, back to God's rescue of Israel. God said this just before he rescued Israel. And this is there in the Bible. He said, Israel is my firstborn son. So why did God give the third commandment not to misuse or empty his name? Well, it's because... He's brought his people into the most profound, the most meaningful, unbreakable family relationship. They are united under his name. So it really does matter that what they say and do about God's name matters to God. It matters every single bit. And I love that about this commandment because it throws a whole new light on it. I want you to bury the idea today that this petty and picky God thinks that one of life's top 10 tips is watch your mouth. That's not what's going on here. It's dawning on God's people as they hear this commandment, not to misuse the name. It's dawning on them that they have the name. They're going to start realizing we are loved. We are brought in close. The God who says this burns with an unquenchable love for them. And he is making a solemn and safe covenant relationship with them, promising to bring them freedom forever a place of peace and safety, rest and joy, and forever belonging as name-bearing members of his family. 
So the love that we have for our adopted children is there as a blurry, faint picture of the love that God shows his people, the honour and privilege and joy when they are called by his name. Now that, that's the connection that we are created for. That is the, the deep longing for belonging, satisfied right there. That's the hole that we try and fill with football euphoria and online communities to plug into something bigger than ourselves. That human need we all have, that's the hole that was empty during lockdown when we were isolated and felt meaningless and it was rubbish. We are designed to belong. We are designed to find identity in our tribe, our family, our community, our identity in belonging. But that is ultimately satisfied here when God draws his people close and gives them his name. That's why it matters that they don't lift up the name to emptiness or worthlessness, because they're not commenting on the sidelines. They're on the inside. Now, here's a brilliant thing. This is a reminder to you and I today that God is still like that, and he has always been about drawing people close to him to bear his name. He's always been about reaching out to you to give you his name, to bring you the fulfillment and meaning and purpose and identity of belonging to something bigger, belonging to him. And we find that in Jesus. Because the story of Jesus is that God comes to us in a new promised relationship that says to, to us, you are adopted, every bit is Israel, you are adopted as God's child when you put your faith in Jesus. In fact, the New Testament says this, it's not Hard to find an exact, the exact words we're looking for. <laughs> See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Called children of God. Called. You might call somebody something that that's not really what they are, but no, that is what we really are. So that longing for belonging, the craving for connection, we get that when we find belonging in a church family that is the household of Christ. We get that craving for connectedness satisfied when we connect with a church family who is loved by Christ. We get that identity in a church family who is adopted by God. We get the purpose we long for in a church family who is shaped by God's spirit. Are you a Christian? Christ is your name, is your family name. So we have a loaded name too. Yahweh means the God who brought his people out of slavery in power and righteousness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jesus is a name that means that God is with us. Jesus is the name that we bear that means bringing death, uh, bringing life out of death. Bringing, dying on a cross, giving self-giving love, perfect revelation of God. Jesus means king of the universe. Jesus means coming again. The New Testament says that Jesus is the name above every other name. And that name is given to you if you know and love Jesus. He is yours. You are his. You bear the name above every name. So the third commandment really does speak very relevantly to Christians today in the most wonderful and beautiful and encouraging way. 
you bear a loaded name. The loaded name that means saviour, God, lover, redeemer, judge, coming again, future, eternal life. But if we bear a name, then I want to think through just a few implications by way of applying it to us of how we as Christians should live if we are bearing a hallowed name. Um, Now, if ever we as a family need to stay overnight somewhere or go on holiday, we have taken into the habit of using Airbnb. Airbnb is not like a hotel, um, but it's more like renting a house. It's just like yours. Um, But there's sometimes even little perks like breakfast provided. So it's quite useful to use Airbnb. And it's also useful because you get home comforts as well. So this is kind of like how 21st century holidays work. Imagine you're at home and you're in the middle of watching a Netflix series. Well, you don't want to miss that when you're on holiday. So there's often a TV there. And you go onto the apps on the TV, you sign into Netflix, and you get to watch your programs. And that gives rise to a little happy and unexpected discovery. When you don't just click on Netflix. You click on Disney+. Plus. Just to wonder if the last person has stayed signed in. Or you click on Prime Video, which you don't have at home. But if the last person stayed signed in, they forgot before they left, well, maybe you'll have a little watch. Has anyone else done that? Maybe I'm just on my own. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be looking at Do Not Steal. I wonder if if that comes into that. I don't know. Um, You're having a little sneaky watch on someone else's account. Now, if you have got access to someone else's name, it's not hard to find ways of making that work for you. And just like the first people to receive the Ten Commandments, then I think this is relevant to us not to misuse the name Jesus, not to misuse our name as Christians. Because we have this glorious and precious name of Yahweh, of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, you could think of it like this. We are Christians and we're signed permanently into Christ's account. So what we do with that really matters. And I found um, three ways of thinking about it in a book um, that I'm not going to take credit for it, but it was quite helpful. It said, if if you want to be serious about that, then don't use Jesus' name for anything false, frivolous, or phony. What it means to, to use Christ's name falsely, false is to kind of use the God card to get your own way or to put someone else down. So using Christ or Jesus, using this name falsely would be to to say things like this. Well, I'm a Christian. I know God. So this course of action that I've taken is probably fine. I have prayed about it and I've got peace that doing this will be fine, even if it's actually not there in the Bible. That's quite a common response to a pastoral conversation. When we try and rebuke somebody, tell them that what they're doing is not a biblical pattern, it's destructive, it's unhelpful, quite often Christians defend themselves saying, well, well, I prayed about it. And I think God wants me to do X, Y, Z, even though he's already said in his Bible that you mustn't. As far as I'm concerned, God is happy with me living with my girlfriend. As far as I'm concerned, God's happy with me not coming to church. As far as I'm concerned, God is fine if I stay angry with that person. False means making a choice or taking a point of view and sort of sanctifying it by the fact that you're a Christian. And saying it's biblical, even if it's not. Or justifying it because you say you've prayed about it. It's trading on God's reputation, his name, 
trading on your identity as a Christian to, to get your own way. Frivolous. Frivolous might be using Christian habits or words, just kind of like a code word, to sound right, but it really being empty of meaning. Things like saying grace before a meal, as if that is your pin code to get in. Or Christian in-jokes that make fun of what we might call jargon, but are actually important things. Like when I was at uni, we knew that Christians had a reputation for sounding strange, for like having our own jargon, and it meant nothing to other people. And so we used to kind of live up to that and joke. And if there was a friend of ours who said, oh, I'm thinking about dating that girl, we'd say, oh, is she washed in the blood of the lamb? You're trying to disciple them. You're trying to direct them to something helpful, but you're just really making light of something that's actually quite important. It's frivolous use. We weren't doing it horribly or sinisterly or blasphemously, but it was frivolous. Just a bit silly. We can use the name of Jesus or something really important as if it's just some kind of quirky code, some kind of funny quirks about Christians. And this is why, as Christians, we don't refer to God or Jesus in a throwaway way, like as if, as if it's a swear word. Because any frivolous speaking about God or Jesus says something about whether we really think the name is above every other name, whether it really is loaded or whether it's empty. But phony is probably the most subtle and easy of these things to do and the hardest to address. Um, if you find yourself using God's name falsely or frivolously, perhaps the answer is just watch what you say. But phony has got a lot to do with the heart Phony is when you take the name of Jesus in prayer, at church, in songs, in Bible studies, but not really connecting our hearts and lives to what it is we're saying. It's living the lifestyle, seeming as if we're in this deep belonging relationship, seeming as if we are living as adopted children of the Father, united under Christ's name, but actually in our hearts when we're living for someone or something else. Being at church, but wishing we could be out doing our shopping. Lifting our voice to sing in worship, but lifting our hearts to somebody else, another relationship on the other six days. Speaking God-filled words on Sundays, but living God-empty lives at work. Phony is when church service is just lip service. Now, I'm not saying we have to experience every Sunday a deep connection that is emotional and deep and profound and moving in every season of life. But if we are using Christian words and ministries and involvement to cover up the state of a wandering heart, then we are people who have been invited into deep belonging of being adopted by God the Father and knowing Jesus bearing his name, but just people who take all that and lift it up to emptiness, lift it up to worthlessness. And the solution isn't to watch your mouth more carefully. It's to open your eyes to this joy of why God decided to tell Israel, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Dwell on this. God has moved mountains and sent heaven to earth to adopt you into his family so that that name would matter. That's what his name means. It's what Yahweh means. It's what Jesus means. His grace saves. His power wins. His love draws. That's what Yahweh means. That's what Jesus means. And he is yours. And you are profoundly his. This is the belonging that we all crave. This is the identity that fulfills you. 
This is the name you are created for. So maybe the best thing you can do for your, Christ- your spiritual life is to spend time dwelling on the goodness of that. Taking it to heart, enjoying it, enjoying that you've been adopted and given the name to share in the name that is above every other name. And we can pray that the Holy Spirit will make our hearts agree with our lips. Whenever we pray, hallowed be your name.